I'm Katie. And I'm Steve. And this is the City of Reading Podcast. Today, we launch a two-part series around public power utilities. Reading Electric Utility, our locally owned power utility, is celebrating 100 years of public power this year. We want to understand what it means to have locally owned public power and how the community benefits from this. Power utilities in general are expensive and complicated systems. What makes public power utilities better than their investor-owned counterparts? Why should Reading care that REU is celebrating 100 years? In this series, we talk with Joy Ditto, the president and CEO of the American Public Power Association in Washington, D.C., and Dan Beans, director of REU for the city of Reading. We think you'll learn some new information about the history of the power grid, how REU benefits our community, and why it's important to have people like Joy and Dan advocating for our local area in Sacramento and Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Joy. We thought we could start off with you first introducing yourself and then telling us a little bit about the American Public Power Association for people who may not know what that is. I am Joy Ditto. I'm the president and CEO of the American Public Power Association, or APPA. So yeah, APPA has actually been around now 81 years. We were formed in 1940 and is a national trade association that represents the interests of the a little bit over 2,000 publicly owned electric utilities in the U.S. and in four territories. Those electric utilities are in 49 states. And um, of those 2,000 plus electric utilities, um, the vast majority of them are in communities that are in very small communities. Um, In fact, most of them are in communities of 10,000 people or less. So many small towns, small communities, boroughs, but we also have a number of large cities that comprise public power, some of them in the West, Los Angeles, Sacramento, Seattle, Tacoma, to name a a couple. Um, And uh, so it is a pretty diverse group and kind of almost a microcosm of the U.S. Um, APPA's primary missions are to represent our members and the broader public power community. Of those 2,000 public power utilities nationwide, we have close to 1,500 that are our direct members. The rest of them typically participate in state and regional associations or joint action agencies um, to get representation that way. Uh, But we at APPA are focused at the federal level, representing um, our members and the public power community before the federal government um, in Congress uh, related to legislation, as well as at the administration level in federal agencies of impact to public power, and then occasionally in litigation through the courts. Um, We do communicate often with our um, brethren at the state level. So there are typically state associations representing public power there, just so we know what's going on at the state level. And occasionally we'll weigh in on a discrete issue at the um, behest of those public power members in the state, or we'll facilitate conversations between the state and the federal government particularly on things like uh, storm restoration and response, or in the case of this last year, the pandemic. Uh, And then we also provide training, uh, education services, conferences, uh, technical support to our members as well. So it's it's quite a robust association, it sounds like. So, Joy, you mentioned that that 
a vast majority of those 2,000 public power utilities have uh, residents of 10,000 or fewer. Why, why is that? Um, I think because actually when the grid was forming back 100 plus years ago, many small communities just were not getting access to electric service from the private sector or the access they were getting was was shoddy. And, and actually, we have an interesting kind of corollary to that now, which is in the broadband arena. So we see some of that similar thing happening now where the private sector will go so far and they go to population centers first or big population centers because that's really where the profit margin is. And when it comes to things like broadband, but also electricity, it's, you know, a very uh, capital intensive industry. And, you know, the profit margins are tough to achieve in the short term, you have to have kind of a longer term view. And so we saw some of those small communities just deciding on their own recognizance back and back many decades ago that they needed to form their own uh, electric utility in order to provide that service to their communities, economic development, etc. And is there a move for larger cities now to adopt this model versus the investor owned model? Are, you know, in essence, are larger cities trying to take back their own uh, control over their municipal utilities? Well, I mean, as I, as I said earlier, we do have a number of large cities um, kind of contrasting with what I said. I mean, there were some larger cities that also embraced the public power model many decades ago, or they just grew at a very fast rate. But, you know, I think your your point is about are some cities or other communities looking at what we would call municipalization. So moving their electric service away from their private utility to a public power business model. And yes, we have seen that interest. We have seen um, bigger, bigger cities like San Francisco look at that option. We've seen San Diego look at the option sort of in, in the state of California. We've seen also in on the East Coast in Maine, the entire state is looking at municipalizing its system just because of some poor service by its current investor owned utility or private utility. So that kind of discussion, and I don't know if we want to get into this later, um, but that kind of discussion is kind of ongoing depending on how well the existing kind of incumbent utility is serving uh, a community and it could be a smaller community or it could be a city. And in some cases, it does result in a public power utility being buying essentially or the city buying the assets of the investor utility. But it's a long conversation. Oftentimes, um, when that when that conversation comes up, it's there are many details to work out. And sometimes what happens instead is that the city or the, the smaller town will say, will leverage the conversation and leverage the the data that's been brought forward in that conversation to get a better have a better relationship with its current utility. It's typically the investor in utility in this in these scenarios. So oftentimes it's a benefit to just have the conversation, but it doesn't it doesn't always result in a change in ownership type. We believe that as communities go into these kinds of discussions, that they should have all of the, the data available to them, that they need to have that robust discussion. And, and that's something that at APPA, we will provide that type of information and we'll work with communities as they go through this. And Joy, stepping back for a moment, when, when I mean, we're obviously we're talking about public power, what exactly does that mean to have a publicly owned power utility mm-hmm. and, and why is it important? Yeah, absolutely. So public power um, means that we are not, that you are not for profit, but publicly owned. And that can look 
Um, it gets kind of complicated, which doesn't, it doesn't sound like it should be, but typically we define it as a state or subdivision of a state. That means you could be tied to a municipality. So that's the typical model. And that's why oftentimes we refer to things, we refer to public power sometimes as munis or municipals. But there is a, a big subset of the public power community of those 2000 that are actually formed in different ways. Like they're an irrigation district, for example, a lot of those in California, or a public utility district. So their service territories are perhaps look more rural and maybe are countywide. Um, when you're talking about a municipal public power utility, it typically is within the confines of the, the boundaries of that town or community. So it's usually a smaller service territory, maybe more dense territory than perhaps a public utility district or an irrigation district. So there are different forms that these can take. We also have a number of sort of state-run um, or state-owned uh, managed public power utilities in New York Power Authority is an example of that. Uh, there's a utility in the in the South, Santee Cooper in South Carolina, and those state-run organizations are typically they're still not-for-profit and publicly owned, but a lot of times they provide wholesale power to then the municipals in the state. So there's a variety of forms that public power can take, but those are the the, the two big things are not-for-profit, publicly owned, so they are really run and by the communities that they serve, whether it be a, sort of at the county-wide level or at the municipal level. They are um, overseen by locally elected or appointed officials, and they are there for their communities, and, and that's an important component to public power. And when you say not-for-profit, can you just break that down? Um, because I can confusion over what that means specifically for power utilities. Well, and I think what that means is you're providing the power at cost. So you are not marking up the costs. And when I say at cost, I mean, there's various components that go into providing electricity to the end user. So you have your power generation costs. So you're generating power from a variety of sources. And in many cases, what does it cost to produce that power? What does it cost to deliver the power from the source to the home, you're, you're using, in some cases, bulk transmission lines, big transmission lines, high voltage, and then you're, you, you're then ramping that power down to a lower voltage to then distribute it into homes and businesses. So what does it cost to maintain that infrastructure to, to run that part of the grid? So that's a cost. And then you're, you have your, your people costs, the people who, who are there to maintain the infrastructure, run the utility. And then, you know, you just, you have your ongoing maintenance costs, et cetera, of the infrastructure. So we're not, we're taking all of those costs and factoring them in to the, to the bills that our customers receive, but we're not adding a markup. What it also means is that we still have to have fiduciary responsibility. So we're not just living paycheck to paycheck. You know, we want to build up a little bit of a reserve so that if there is a rainy day, quote unquote, meaning if there's an unexpected issue, we want to be able to cover our expenses and that eventuality so that we can, you know, again, that's just kind of a good fiduciary practice. So uh, you could have a bit of what we call would call a reserve that you either you're putting some money aside, maybe adding a little bit to that cost to make sure that you have a cushion in the event of a problem or so that you can use that cushion to maybe fund some activities within the community that the community is looking at. For example, energy efficiency programs or other programs that might be a little bit more expensive but that the community wants. 
So um, there is usually a little bit of a margin above that cost that you're just using for, again, for good business practices. And, and Joy, for those folks in the community, what, what would you say are the main advantages uh, of being a part of a publicly owned utility? So, I mean, the, the great advantage is in addition to that not-for-profit function, so you can really understand what your true, the true costs of running the utility are just because we're we're running our, we're operating our utility based on the, the cost, kind of the cost-based rate, as we say. So typically our, our costs are lower, but I think the other really key component of public power is that local control and decision-making that comes from the governance of the utility in the community in which it in which it exists and serves, whether again it be in a municipality or in a you know a public utility district or irrigation district, you have accountability to the customers of the utility. You have kind of an understanding of what the utility's needs are based on the needs of the community. And that's very important. Also, when there is a problem, and we've seen, unfortunately, in this last year, you know, we've seen storms and wildfires and other things. The the utility workers are there. They live in the communities. They are experiencing the same things that the rest of the community is experiencing in a disaster situation. And they can be relied upon to be there for the community in that in that scenario. So there's it's a it's a really kind of a very mission driven type business model, you know. And then there's other elements like working with the community on economic development and making sure that businesses are being enticed to stay or to come to your community. That's another way that uh, a public power utility is really invested in the community it serves, rather than perhaps an investor in utility whose headquarters are you know, a couple of states away or um, that just isn't as focused on the communities it serves because it's just so big. And then another piece that we read about a lot is that public power utilities on average can provide cleaner energy than investor owned utilities. Can you explain that a little bit or break that down? Let's, I mean, just to, to just be clear, and the public power community actually has a lot of, of very clean hydropower. And partially it's because as communities have been developed, and I know this is very true of Reading, um, as communities have developed, in many cases, they have actually developed their own hydropower facilities over, you know, many years. They've, they've built dams themselves and run them in their communities. And that's been a, a, you know, something that the community wanted for various reasons, because as you know, hydropower is produced from dams, but it has other benefits like flood control and irrigation. Oftentimes our communities have done that. And you've seen that, you see that from frankly, the East Coast to the West Coast. And so hydropower is that clean resource. We also have relationships with what's called the Federal Power Program. There are a number of big federal dams like Hoover, which is the one that everyone knows, that actually the hydropower output of that dam goes first to not-for-profit utilities like public power. So we started off with a a bit more, if you look at our our, um, portfolio overall across the country, our hydropower, that bucket is larger than our brethren and other utilities in uh, the investor-owned side or the rural electric cooperative side. But if you're if you're thinking about, you know, just that local control component I talked about, when decisions are being made, they're being they're being made, you know, generation decisions or when you're purchasing uh, power generation from others. If the community wants to do more with clean energy, whether it be, again, kind of that baseload hydropower or other types of clean energy, 
then it can be done. The, the utility listens and it can, you can move on it quickly and, and be nimble about development of that resource as long as it makes sense of the community and it's cost effective or there are other goals like climate change goals that the community desires to address, then it becomes a community decision rather, again, than a decision that's being made at some corporate headquarters in another state. Uh, and Joy, what would you say is the biggest misconception about publicly owned utilities that you wish you could correct for people? Um, I think that we're not as efficient because we're publicly owned. We are kind of, we're a government enterprise and that sometimes, you know, leaves a bad taste in, in people's mouth. And I understand that, you know, it, it doesn't, it seems a little counterintuitive that government can be efficient and effective but I think the, the way that public power typically, the governance of public power is set up, and it varies from community to community um, as to what that governance model is. The public power utility typically has the ability to run kind of like a business, again, at cost, and is very motivated to be efficient in its operations. Oftentimes, there is a role for the utility to also um, help the community through payments in lieu of taxes as well. That that varies from community to, to community in terms of what that looks like. But there is a desire for the utility to operate efficiently, to help the community itself, to not raise rates exponentially, um, so there, there's a real efficiency motivation in the business model that might not just be apparent at, on its face. And I think that's a misconception I would love to dispel. And I think that's really driven by the data. You just have to look it up. You don't have to take my word for it. I think we have shown over and over again across the board that we're our rates are lower, our efficiency is very high. Also, our reliability, which is kind of a term of art, but um, reliability means how um, how much you keep the lights on in a given year. You can you can measure that performance, and we consistently beat out our brethren utilities in in reliability. So that also just shows a desire to our desire to keep the lights on. Our ability to keep the lights on means we're running things efficiently and our we're maintaining our infrastructure. So that's that's probably the biggest thing I'd love to dispel. And so, I mean, your opinion is probably going to be biased on this, but I'm, I'm basing this from our conversation is that categorically citizens often do better with a public power utility behind them than under an investor owned utility. Could you make the case for that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I think if you're looking, if you're just looking at several factors like rates and reliability, I think we we win hands down. Again, are there going to be exceptions to that rule? I mean, again, there are two thousand of us across the country. There might be places where that's not the case, but the vast in, in the in the aggregate, if you just look at that data, yes. And then there is again the, the intangible of that community connection that the utility has with its with its community and customers, where there's a dialogue and there's a linking of arms between the local government and the utility about what's what's the economic development plan what's the you know what's good for business what's good for the customers what's good for the environment that is just that intangible is is also a really important component that's hard to measure and you can't necessarily look up and compare um, but i will say that you know a lot of the utilities that are on the jd power and associates list not all of our utilities get analyzed by jd power and associate jd power uh, but those who do are, I mean, consistently public power is at the top of the list compared to their larger brethren. And usually uh, investor and utilities are much larger than we are. So 
uh, that is that is maybe one place that that intangible component comes in as well. Is there anything else that you'd like to say just to wrap up or summarize that completes our questions, but if there was something you felt like you didn't touch on that you want to touch on? I think what I'd like to touch on is that public power, it's that the public power community itself is a community nationally. And that that's really important too, because we help each other out. So, so there's the, you know, the community that the public power itself is serving, but then there's a bigger community. There's, there's a community in California of public power in California. And that community is represented at the state level by, you know, a municipal utility uh, association. At, you know, the national level, APPA represents a community of public power entities from across the country, oftentimes with, with different maybe perspectives and different desires for their communities than others, just like kind of a microcosm of the U.S. But the public power community comes together all the time, helping each other out on kind of very targeted issues around um, rate design and, and what's going on with their infrastructure and how do you optimize, you know, um, distribution lines. They come together around and share with each other all the time about how to do things better. And that knowledge sharing and information sharing is part of a bigger public power community. In addition, public power helps physically helps each other out in regard to responding to storms and wildfires and other, you know, serious events that happen that need where a utility needs help to restore power. You have crews coming in from out of state and and helping. All this happens all the time. And it's not necessarily a well-known fact. And And I guess lastly, in the response to the pandemic, I can't say enough how public power and frankly, the entire electric utility community, investor owns and rural co-ops have responded to the pandemic. The lights have stayed on. Our workers have, have come to work when they've had to come to work and haven't had a choice because they were so essential to almost everything that we do as a society. So the fact that we've been able to keep the lights on, mitigate the spread of the of the virus within our public power community, we employ 93,000 people nationwide, and we really have not had any major spreading events within our communities. We've, we've instituted very strict protocols, all of that. I think it just says so much, and it, it often just doesn't get highlighted at the national media level, and I just think it's really important to keep that in mind, that we are essential workers and and there's just been a tremendous response from from the utility sector in in responding to covid Thanks again to Joy for taking time out of her busy schedule to break down how the APPA is an advocate for public power utilities across the country. Reading Electric Utility is proud to have someone like Joy working on our behalf in Washington, D.C. For more information on the APPA, visit publicpower.org. Don't miss part two, where we interview REU Director Dan Beans about the benefits of locally owned power in Reading. And as usual, please email any questions, comments, or episode suggestions to podcast at cityofreading.org.